0: Thank you that your love truly does not have an end and that your grace covers all of our sin. Thank you for Jesus Christ who came to earth and bore the price of our sin now ascended to the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Father, may you just encourage us through your word this morning. May you speak through Mark. May you uh, teach us what you'd have us to take out Help us to live out our faith for you each day this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we see that throughout the Bible. We see it in the story, the parable of the prodigal son. We see it in the story of the woman at the well. We see it at the, the woman caught in adultery. We see it in the parable of the servant who was forgiven of a great debt. We see it throughout the whole Old Testament as the nation of Israel kind of bounced up and down in their relationship with God this area of forgiveness God's forgiveness God is a forgiving God and we are to be a forgiving people and that's what this little letter of Philemon's about in Philemon we don't get a bunch of doctrinal teaching on forgiveness we don't get uh, practical exhortations to forgiveness we don't even see the word forgiveness but it's there it's the main theme of this little letter and I hope it will really encourage you today and and perhaps help us to examine our own hearts as I did preparing this message to think back over the time and and think back is there someone I need to forgive? Is there something I'm holding on to, some offense from someone in my past that I haven't fully let go of yet that I need to forgive that person? Well first let's set the scene of this little letter with a little background on its main characters and the events that led Paul to write this letter. Uh, The Apostle Paul was quite a missionary after the initial birth of Christianity, after the resurrection of Jesus there in Jerusalem, it was to spread throughout the region and then to the ends of the earth. And so Paul was called to do that work. He was traveling all over through what's now Turkey, to Greece, to Italy, all over the known world at that time, spreading the message of the gospel, uh, starting churches and seeing the work of God travel throughout the earth. And we read about those adventures in the book of Acts, And in many of those places, many people turned to Christ. But there were also people who uh, caused a lot of great suffering for Paul. People who opposed his message and tried to stop his message from spreading. And because of that, he wound up in prison in Rome for a couple of years. At the very end of the book of Acts, in chapter 28, you see that he's there for a couple of years under house arrest. This is the time, while he's under this house arrest, that he writes a bunch of letters, four of which we have in our Bibles. Can you think of which four they are? They're called the prison epistles. There's Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon, those four. So he was busy there. He got to evangelize the whole household of Caesar uh, while he was under guard there, we're told. And, and so he had quite a ministry there. And while he was there, he encountered this, this runaway slave from far away. And this is the story of where this letter comes from. Um, He meets this young man, he leads him to Christ, and then he sends him back to his master, a new person, and with this letter. So let's start in verses one to three. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting here in his greeting that everywhere else in his 13 letters, he addresses himself as the Apostle Paul or the servant of Christ. He speaks to them with authority and the church needed that authority and direction. But here in Philemon and only in Philemon, he addresses himself as the prisoner of Christ. I think that's kind of neat because here he is under house arrest and waiting trial for a couple years in Rome. And he doesn't see himself as the prisoner of Rome or the prisoner of Caesar. He's he's there for preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, in whatever circumstances he finds himself in, whether he's free or in prison, he is the prisoner of Jesus Christ, the servant of Christ. That's kind of neat. The reason I think he addresses himself this way as the prisoner of Christ and not as the apostle is because. He's writing a very personal letter to his friend Philemon. And in fact, he led Philemon to the Lord a little while ago. And this is almost as if to say to Philemon, Philemon, if, if I can do this for Christ, if I can bear the harder task of being in this prison, can you do for me what I'm about to ask you? And he's gonna ask him to forgive. A little background on this church in Colossae. That's uh, where Philemon is from, this little town of Colossae, far away from Rome. And Philemon and his household is written to Philemon, and then Athia, which most people think is his wife, and then Archippus, which many speculate is his son. And so this is a godly household here uh, that ho- houses a, a church. And at that di- in that time and day, what church gatherings looked like was home fellowships. Uh, so they didn't have church buildings like this, Probably not like this at all for many centuries, but until the third century, they didn't really have formal church buildings. And so what they did was meet in home fellowships, and so when somebody came to Christ in a, in a city, they, they started their church, maybe in the home of a wealthy person who had a larger home who could host the church, and sometimes they had several fellowships like that in a city. So when the Apostle Paul would write a letter like this to a, a church in a city, it would be circulated among those home churches. And that's kind of neat, too. You know, we don't, we don't have... Well, some people do today, but uh, that's fine, you know. But um, I I think that we should use our homes to the glory of God. You know, we're not hosting them as home churches necessarily, but whatever kind of home you have or resources you have, use it to the glory of God like Philemon did. Now, a quick comment on uh, slavery in this time. This will help set the background for our story this morning. Onesimus was the slave... And Philemon was the master and this day it was very common. It was very common, it was a big part of their social system. Some estimate that maybe as much as a third of the population of the Roman Empire was slaves. And at this point in history conditions of slavery had improved some. Uh, they had rights to a trial at this point. They could hold many different positions and, and some even hold some prominent positions uh, more than you would think for a slave such as teachers, doctors, musicians, etc. They could, buy and, they could buy land and um, earn a living. Some were well-to-do, even better than free men in some cases. But they were still considered personal property, and they could be bought and sold and traded. And so you kind of wonder, like, why Paul doesn't come right out and say, "Philemon, I want you to free onesimus slavery," is, is a terrible wrong. I, in fact, the whole world of Christianity should free all its slaves. It, the Bible doesn't outright do that. It doesn't abolish slavery outright. It doesn't address the social aspect of it. But what it does do is address the abuses of slavery, the spiritual problems in the system. And in time, the principles of Christianity led to the abolition of slavery in that world. But listen to a few verses here. I think I've got them up here. Here's the kind of the world we're looking at, this picture here of Rome. And you can see clear down there on the Lower right there, there's Colossae. In Ephesians 6, 5 to 9, the Apostle Paul, same writer, he commands slaves to obey their earthly masters with a deep respect and fear, serving them sincerely as they would serve Christ. And he encouraged them to work with enthusiasm as unto the Lord. And then he also commanded, on the other side of it, the masters to treat their slaves in the same way, not threatening them, and reminding them that they, too, have a master in heaven. And uh, other scriptures, like Galatians 3.28, teach that slaves and masters in Christ are spiritual equals before God. And so you can imagine that if masters and slaves in this system, in that time in our history, would follow the principles from scripture, from the apostles' letters, how good those relationships could have been. And, you know, I, th- I think that Philemon was such a master, The way Paul is going to talk to Philemon here tells us that he was a godly Christian man. He would have been a master that would have been enjoyable to work for. I think if we really applied these principles today, the equivalent would be our boss and employee relationship today. We could kind of look at it that way. These principles of showing kindness and fairness and respect and hard work and enthusiasm as working unto the Lord, Uh, that would do us good today too. So we see here, uh, Paul, writing to Philemon, he was a master. He had a house large enough for a church. He had a, at least one slave that we know of named Onesimus. Now, after Paul's typical greeting of grace to you and, from our, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, That's a wonderful way he opened all his letters, he's going to ask something very big of Philemon. He's going to ask him to forgive and receive back his runaway slave, Onesimus, without retribution. Philemon would have had every right to punish his slave. He could have worked him harder, made him pay back everything he owed for running away. Uh, He could have made him work overtime. He could have physically punished him. He would have had the right to do that. But pretty soon here, Paul's going to make the big ask and ask him to forgive him. Uh, Before we get into the big ask, he says some things here in verses 4 to 7 about Philemon, thanking God for Philemon and the kind of person he was. And this gives you a picture of the heart of a person who forgives. I think Paul had great confidence that Philemon would indeed forgive his slave and receive him back without punishment because of the kind of person he, he knew Philemon to be. Let's look in verses 4 to 7. He says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you brother Paul's given some strong praise to Philemon here Philemon is quite a guy he says how thankful he is to God when he prays for him because everything he hears about the guy is so positive and so refreshing to hear Paul now when Paul was ministering in the city of Ephesus for a few years. We read that in the, about that in the book of Acts. This church in the city of Colossae got started by a couple of men. One was Epaphras, who came from Colossae 100 miles west to uh, Ephesus, where Paul was, and he was saved and went back and started the church in Colossae. And Philemon was also a convert who had come there, heard Paul's message, and went back and, and ha- had this house church. But you know what's more exciting than just hearing someone say they profess belief in Christ is when they actually go on for Christ isn't it I mean think of the person you knew that came to the Lord and they were all excited to come to the Lord and to know him for the first time but what was even more exciting was when they went on for the Lord strong for the Lord and Paul is hundreds of miles away here and but yet every report he gets about the church in Colossae and about Philemon and his family is a glowing report And that's exciting you know if you've ever led someone to the lord and then you see them go on for the lord like that strong serving the lord i think of matt deaver who was speaking here a couple weeks ago he's serving the lord full-time as a missionary in nepal he was saved in our youth group 17 years ago and and that's pretty cool to see a a god take a kid like that change his life around bring him to saving faith in christ and then now 17 years later for the last year has been in nepal that's exciting now uh, some quick things from this few verses here. This is why Paul could be so confident that Philemon was a forgiving person. He mentions his faith toward the Lord Jesus. You know, having faith towards Jesus shows a forgiving heart. If we truly have faith in the Lord Jesus, we'll have a heart of forgiveness. And then he has love toward all the saints. You know, when you have a genuine love for God's people, you can have a heart of forgiveness for them. And then three, he, he understands, Philemon understands and experiences all the good things we have in Christ. If we look through the Bible and understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ, how can we not have a forgiving heart when we understand that God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us of such a great debt? And then lastly, he showed kindness and generosity to God's people in practical ways. Paul says you've refreshed the hearts of the saints. A person like that is a forgiving person. So now let's get to the big ask from Paul. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time in verses 8 to 21. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have this joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Now since the rest of the sermon, I'm gonna need to say this word Onesimus many times. I'm gonna try to guard myself from a tongue twister and flubbing that up. I'm just gonna shorten his name to Ness. And so I did this with the Iwana kids earlier this year and I think they enjoyed it. Um, I have six Ness words for you. Hopefully this will be memorable and maybe enjoyable. The first one is badness. I've been told that's not actually a word, but I'm going to use it anyways. Badness. Ness had run away from his master. There was a, that was a serious offense in that day, with severe punishment of caught. He fled to Rome, far away, where maybe lots of runaway slaves fled to. That was a city at that time around 600,000 to 870,000 people at that time. The idea is to disappear into the big city. In addition to the loss of a valuable slave, for Philemon, which to replace him would have cost about 500 denarii. That would have been the average, the average wage for an average worker was one denarii a day. So you can see for an average income, that would have been about 500 days work. Verses 18 to 19 even suggest that Ness stole money from Philemon on his way out of town. You know, this demonstrates the sinful heart of Ness, the badness, the depravity of his human condition. But you know, that's That's the condition we all find ourselves in from birth, the badness in our hearts. We're all like him. We're all born with a sin nature that's bent towards evil. Not that we're as bad as we possibly could be. There's the good neighbor down the street, the good aunt, you know, but the seed of all kinds of evil is in our heart. That's called total depravity. That's the badness in our hearts. That's our sin nature that we're born with. And Ness here displaying that sin nature in full, his badness. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. In light of God's holiness and perfection, no one stands the test of perfection. All all fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses So you see it there. We're dead in our sins before we're saved. That's how we're born into this world, and even the best of men and women and children in this world fall short of the glory of God. That's the badness in our lives. It touches every bit of us. The badness leads to sadness. That's my second Ness. Sadness. We're not told the details of Ness's adventures in Rome, but I think you could be sure that his happiness was short-lived, kind of like the prodigal son, right? Any money he would have stole from Philemon was probably quickly spent. He finds himself at the bottom of the barrel. You know, the life of sin ultimately leads to sadness. Alone, far away in Rome, penniless, foolishly living his life, living a life of sin and rebellion, and ultimately finding himself at the bottom. And somehow he finds his way to the Apostle Paul. You know, the Bible is full of examples of people who led a life of sin and we're miserable because of it there's a verse in 2 corinthians 7 10 that came to mind it says for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted but the sorrow of the world produces death you know there's kind of a godly sorrow that when we recognize our sinful condition and we recognize our great need we can be led to repentance and that's a godly kind of sorrow but without god The sadness and misery of our sin just produces death in us. It ruins our lives. There is no hope without God. Well, uh, the next Ness is gladness. Gladness. Verses 10 through 11. Probably not long after he hit bottom, Ness somehow wound his way to the apostle Paul. He had heard about him. Something piqued his interest in Paul, and he came into contact with him. And we don't know the details of all of it, but we know Ness became saved. We see in verse 10 that Paul now calls Onesimus his child because he's become his father in the faith. Um, this is kind of interesting. I, I just think this whole thing is kind of interesting about the circumstances here. Here we have the Apostle Paul at one time in his past in Ephesus leading Philemon to the Lord. Philemon goes back 100 miles east and starts the church and uh, houses the church in Colossae. Then Philemon's slave runs away, ends up hundreds of miles away in the city of Rome where Paul is in prison at that time and then they connect and now Paul is leading Onesimus to the Lord. Can you you say that's anything other than the sovereignty of God at work in all of these circumstances? William MacDonald says, "...master and slave were both born again through the same preacher, but in widely separated places and under quite different circumstances." Was it a coincidence? Uh, One of the hidden delights of the Christian life is to see God working in marvelous, miraculous ways, revealing himself in converging circumstances that cannot be explained by coincidence or chance. It's true, isn't it? God can orchestrate even the worst of circumstances, a runaway slave with nothing to show for it, to look forward to, and, and put that all together. You know, Paul was encouraged by Onesimus coming to the Lord while he was in prison. Onesimus' life was changed. He's now full of hope. And then Philemon is going to get his slave back. I mean, God is the one who orchestrates all of that. We can look back on times in our lives where there was something hard, a difficulty, uh, a loss. And then we can also see, hopefully, some, something good that came out of that. Somehow God took that event, and even though it wasn't pleasant for us in any kind of way, it led to something good in someone else's life. God is a sovereign God who can take even the worst of our circumstances and turn it around into something good. And now it's kind of interesting here. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now he's profitable to me and you. Now, as far as humor goes, apostolic humor, this is maybe about as good as it gets because I can imagine a little smirk on Paul's face as he's writing this verse because the word Onesimus actually means profitable or useful. And he's saying Onesimus, who's useful, supposed to be useful, that's what his name means, uh, was actually quite useless, but now he's useful, profitable again. Kind of a play on words there. It's about as good as it gets for humor from the apostles, I think. But that's kind of cool. I think that's kind of funny, actually, that he wasn't useful at all until he became a Christian. He's saying, your slave, useful, was useless, but now he's useful. Okay, anyway. Richness is my next Ness. As a believer, Ness now has the riches of Christ. We're so blessed as believers. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life. We're incredibly rich in Christ, are we not? And Ness found that. He, was, he had nothing. He was a nobody. And then suddenly he became a believer and he had the richness of Christ. Ephesians 2, 4-7 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is showering his kindness on us, He has given us the riches of Christ. We are heirs of Christ, it says in Romans 8. As believers, we are incredibly rich, even if we are poor in this world. And Ness found that richness. Our next Ness, and this one is forgiveness. You thought I might get to that one if you were thinking of Ness words. That's our main Ness this morning. Onesimus' life radically changed when he was saved, and He became a very close friend of Paul's and a very helpful servant, a helper to him. Verses 11 to 13 tell us that Paul found Ness useful and that sending him back to Philemon was actually going to be very hard for him to do, to even let him go. He wanted to keep Ness there with him to help him in the ministry. I don't know what exactly Ness was helping Paul with. Maybe uh, while Paul was in house arrest there, he cooked for him or provided information to him or was just a great companion. We don't know exactly how he was helping Paul, but he was a great helper, and Paul was kind of sad to let him go. Sometimes even after a sinner gets on the right path, though, there's still some consequences to face from our past decisions, still some things to face from the situations we've been through in the past. Even though now we've been forgiven by God and we're on the right path, there may be something from our past that we still have to deal with and face up to. And that's what Ness has to do, too. He has to go back to his old master, the master who could rightfully punish him severely if he wanted to. But you know, I think that's a sign of his true repentance, that he was willing to go back and face his master, that his heart had truly been changed because he was willing to go back and face up to and own up to whatever consequences there might be waiting for him there. It would be right for him to face that, and he was going to do that. So Paul in in verse 8 he could have commanded him as an apostle. He could have said, I, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, command you to receive him back and forgive him and no punishment. He could have done that. But that's, that's not what Paul does here. He appeals to him. And uh, I want to just give you here, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but this is what I would call Paul's top ten list here. He's really going to throw it all out there in several different ways. Paul is very tactful. Uh, he he throws out the sympathy plays. He, he does tugs on the heartstrings of Philemon and he does everything he can to appeal to his heart. He doesn't command him to receive Ness. He just appeals to him. And here's the way he appeals to him. First of all, I think the sympathy play. Uh, he, he appeals to him for love's sake because of the love they have between each other, Philemon and Paul. And then he, and then he appeals to him based on his age. Talk about you know, the sympathy play here. Paul, he calls himself the aged. Well, Historians think Paul was about 60 at this time, and he's calling himself the aged. I I think that's interesting. Uh, Certainly that was a good age for that century. Um, He didn't live a whole lot longer than that, maybe another six or seven years. But uh, I I think Paul was also the aged beyond his years. You look at his life in the book of Acts, and you see all the hardship he went through from being stoned, being whipped, facing death time and time again, being opposed in city after city, being shipwrecked. He went through a ton of stuff. You look in 2 Corinthians 11, and it's like, here's my horror list of things that have happened to me in my life, and it was all for Christ. He was older beyond his years, and as Philemon would have seen Paul the aged, he would have felt a little compassion for Paul, softened up a little bit about the situation with this slave. And then he calls him, reminds Philemon, I'm a prisoner too. Paul was the one who led him into the Lord, now to picture him in prison for preaching Christ. Probably softened his heart a little bit. Now just for a little humor this morning, when we talk about the aged and being older beyond your years because of your responsibility, we can't relate to being shipwrecked and stoned and whipped like Paul, but we can picture in our society today the presidential aging effect. Have, have you heard of that? You know, they come in youthful, energetic, uh, full of ideas and optimism for their presidency. And then within four to eight short years, they look like they've aged 15 to 20 years because <laughs> of the burden and responsibility of the presidency. And here's, you know, here's one from Bill Clinton. You can just see in his presidency, you know, it looks like he aged quite a bit. Uh, got a next one here. I you know, had there's George Bush. You can tell he got some worry lines, uh, understandably so. And uh, one from Barack Obama. Youthful, energetic, rock star coming in, and then kind of gray and serious looking at the end there. So, presidential aging effect. Anyways, Paul was older than his years. He's appealing to Philemon based on his age and life experience. Back to the list. He, then he appeals to him based on the change in Ness. You know, after uh, someone who's committed a terrible crime in our society and they go to prison, and sometimes they, we hear these great stories of how they've been reformed and are now themselves leading people to god within the prison and they're a great change in their life and here we've got paul appealing to philemon here saying that ness is now a profitable slave in verse 11. you know as a as a believer we should work harder and be more faithful as a christian worker than ever before i i think that's true i think we can be a better worker for our employer Uh, if we really set our minds and hearts to it to be faithful to God and have a godly attitude each and every day. I mean, start the day with prayer and ask God to help you each and every day to have a witness for Christ, to to do your best for wisdom in your work, and he'll really bless that. I've seen that in my life, and I, I would encourage you to devote yourself to being a good worker even in hard circumstances. Some managers, some situations are not easy to work in, but still do your best to be faithful working as unto the Lord, and God will bless that. Ness is also a brother in Christ now, no longer just master and slave, but now spiritual equals as brothers in Christ. Philemon and Ness are now equals in Christ before God. And so he appeals to him on that basis, that he's now a brother in Christ. And here's the rest of the top 10 list. Paul is Philemon's partner in the gospel. He calls Philemon his partner. So partner, he's appealing to him based on that relationship of being a partner. And then Paul even says, and this is kind of going above and beyond here, he says, if he's taken anything from you, if he owes anything for, for, for you, I will repay that myself. Okay, so we're talking, Re- Philemon probably already had a replace this, 500 denarii. <laughs> and then uh, whatever, anything he stole from him as he ran away, and Paul's saying, I'll repay all of that for him. What a generous heart Paul had. And then Philemon owes Paul for his salvation. He says, you even owe me yourself. Paul had led Philemon to the Lord. You know, if if the person who led you to the Lord, if the person who led you to Christ asked you something, would you have a heart willing to do that? And I, I think that's what Paul's doing here. He said, remember when I led you to the Lord, you owe me your soul. He says, maybe you can do this for me. And then he says, it would bring me joy and refreshment in verse 20. And then although it's not written here in Philemon, Philemon was sent to Colossae at the same time as the letter to the Colossians. Both were sent with uh, Tychicus and Onesimus. They went back together to Colossae and delivered the letter to the Colossians and Philemon at the same time. And in Colossians, which would have been delivered and read about that same time, it says in verse, chapter 3, verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. So he's, he's hearing that in my other letter, too. Because Christ forgave Philemon, he appeals to him, so you, too, can forgive Ness. All right, my next Ness here is kindness. Kindness. Uh, we don't get to read what happened next. We don't get to read what happened when Philemon got this letter and Onesimus is standing face-to-face with him. I can imagine as Ness shows up at first, Philemon is got some hard feelings he's looking at his slave who's come back thinking about what he should do should I punish him how severely should I punish him but then Tychicus who came along with Ness hands him this letter from Paul the letter to Philemon and uh, he would have been happy to get a letter from Paul so happy to get that letter and had those initial reactions thinking about what am I what am I going to have to do to make this right with Ness here should I take it out of his wages should I make him work overtime should I punish him physically what should I do but then as he's reading this letter, you, you can probably imagine Philemon's face just kind of relaxing. That cold icy stare at his slave melting away and his heart softening. And it was really clear to him what he should do after reading that letter. Paul saying, you've got to forgive this guy. You've got to be willing to be merciful to him. After what I've done for you, after what Christ has done for you, forgive him. In Titus 3, 4-6, to 6, it says, The kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior. That's the kindness and love of God our Savior towards us. And I really believe that he forgave us. He forgave Ness. And that was a great example of forgiveness and restoration to the whole church of Colossae. That story spread out through the whole Roman Empire of Christian churches. And we have the letter included in our Bible. I think he probably did forgive Ness because the Holy Spirit has allowed this letter to be included in our Bible. If he hadn't forgiven him, I, I don't know if it would have been included. You know, that would have been a bad example. Okay, Paul appealed to them, made all these great appeals, and then he didn't forgive him. No, I think he probably did forgive him. Philemon, That was the kind of person he was. He had a forgiving heart. He was a generous man who had faith in the Lord. He loved God's people. He understood and appreciated all that God in Christ had done for him. And he understood how much he owed to the Apostle Paul. And he forgave Onesimus. You know, as you think about this story, I would challenge you to think about someone you need to forgive. You know, we live in a retaliating vengeful society where everybody's out to get everybody and no one and their is never to blame. Everyone else is the one who's committed a crime against them. But listen, for the Christian, a failure to forgive is unthinkable. You know, it doesn't matter what the offense is. Not forgiving that person is disobedient and ungrateful to God after everything God in Christ Jesus has done for us. When we hold on to our grievances and offenses from the past, you know what it does? It creates a bitterness in our heart. It creates resentfulness. And you have to keep living it over and over again if you've never let it go and forgiven the person. It keeps coming up in your mind. And it even comes up in casual conversation and gossip. It will lead you to being frustrated and sad the longer you hold on to a grievance. And it occupies your thinking. Why would we want that? Who's that for you? Maybe it's someone from a long time ago. You're thinking of that person right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's a parent from a long time ago who wasn't there for you. Maybe it was another family member who offended you. Maybe it's an overbearing boss or coworker from 10 years ago. Uh, maybe it's that difficult neighbor next door. <laughs> um, I'm, I was just thinking about that this week. But think of that person right now and ask yourself, if God... Has forgiven me of such a great sin debt and he's wiped it all away he remembers it no more how can i not how can i not forgive that person and let that go and so that i encourage you this morning to open your heart to that person you know sometimes the person is not willing to be forgiven they don't want they don't want that they don't want to admit they've done anything wrong and it's kind of hard to have a reconciled relationship if that's the case i mean we can't be reconciled to god if we're not willing to repent of our sins and turn to him but 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 we can have a forgiving heart and we should forgive and if that person's willing to change and admit what they've done receive that person back and have a restored relationship Um, and i would just want to as we lead into communion apply this story to god the father and our condition and the lord jesus philemon is like god the father he's the master and we are like Onesimus, the runaway slave, the one with badness in our heart, the one who's offended the master, the one who's run away from the master, the one who's greatly offended the master because he's a holy and perfect master in heaven. And we deserve his wrath, we deserve his punishment. We deserve nothing but what we have de- come in, which was gonna be wrath and eternal punishment in hell. That's what we deserve in our natural condition. We've offended the master We've fallen short of his glory. But you know what? Just like Paul offered to repay all the losses, we have one who offered to pay all the losses that accumulated on our sin debt. And that was our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to the cross and paid the price we could never pay. We could never have paid that price. But there was one who could pay the price. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who could pay that price and he did pay it he paid for our losses and now we can be restored to our master in a joyful reconciled relationship with the eternal life and the communion reminds us of that it reminds us of the price that was paid the body that was broken the blood that was shed on our behalf and we take that cup and we say thank you lord for paying that price for me you have set me free from my sins no longer a slave to sin but now i can be a slave to you lord and spend my life serving you forever let's pray now our heavenly father thank you for this message on forgiveness and for including it in the bible Uh, just thank you for the story of philemon and onesimus and paul and all the details of it and how it illustrates for us without having to teach us doctrine on forgiveness it illustrates for us in a real life example of the heart of forgiveness how you want us to forgive. Help us to let go of past offenses. Help us to forgive others willingly, freely, because we know that you've forgiven us. Willingly, but at a great cost. The cost of your son, the Lord Jesus. As we take the bread and cup now, we say thank you, Lord, for the great price that was paid on our behalf to wipe out that sin debt. It was nailed to the cross. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.